good morning. Uh, welcome to the Brook, wherever you are. Uh, we exist to grow a people from all people passionate for God. This is a unique uh, moment in the life of our church, like situated in the unique moment of the life of the world. Um, but as the video, video you just saw um, said, man, this is our anniversary. Five years, uh, which is um, humbling uh, given the circumstances that we're, we're in right now, but then also the nature of our city where even before we got here, people were like, well, Miami is where church plants go to die. It's like the church plant and graveyard, but, but God has been really gracious to us, and um, we're super excited about what the future holds, ambitious about what's coming. I mean, even in the last year, as uh, a vast majority of you guys know, for those who aren't part of our story, um, God gifted us with a building where we have been praying, we've been fasting for God to, to make us permanent and to, to give us a home in this city. And, and God did that through the generosity of a, of a church called Good News Little River, where they said, man, we, we see what God is doing with you guys. We see his hand on you. And we say, man, we want to be a, a part of that. So here's a baton, here's a building so that you could have a home. But we don't want to just give you something. We want to go with you. It's been an amazing, amazing year of God's just grace on us in ways that we, we don't deserve at all, but we can't really explain. Nevertheless, as I've been just thinking about today, um, and not just about today, but our moment in time, I've been reminded that stuff really does fade. It could be precious for sure but it will eventually fade. Uh, first year of marriage, I, uh, <laughs> I was with my wife and we had a very interesting conversation. I was looking for this track bag that I had. I used to run track in high school. I wasn't the greatest, but um, it was a powerful moment for me because it was, I was finally able to play a sport. Uh, and so I ran track, I was looking for a track bag. And um, I was in my house, I was like, yo babe, where, where's this bag at? And she was like, you mean that old dusty green thing? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I threw it away. Man, one of the worst arguments we've ever had in our marriage. Yo. And so like, I was like, babe, like, why? <laughs> and she was like, well, because it was, it was tattered. It, it looked old. I didn't know that you wanted to keep it. Like, so before Marie Kondo was famous, there was Diamond Lewis. I mean, she got rid of it, right? Minimalist, like for real. And so... In that moment, I was, I was hurt, I was struggling, I was like, babe, I, I had this bag I wanted to hand down to my son if I ever had one, and you got rid of it. And, and she said something to me that has stuck with me. She says, one, she said, I'm sorry. But she said, Muchi, I understand, but stories travel further than stuff. And that's so true, that the story of the bag and why it was important to me will go further than the bag itself in that moment. So even though it was gone, the story continued. When I think about just the season where we are and how fragile life around us is, there's so much around it that's gonna fade, but there will be stories that continue forever. In fact, I was reading an article um, for one of my friends and he, he's a church pastor in uh, New York, Rich Perez, uh, and they were, they were having these reflections of, over Easter in this Easter season. And one of the reflections was how storytelling is a spiritual discipline 
and produces spiritual healing. And I like that because all of us are formed by stories, not just informed as if we intake new information, but we start to be built around it. Uh, There was this story about this lady. She was 90 years old, Suzanne, in Belgium. And she got diagnosed with with COVID and and she was hospitalized and they were going to put her on a ventilator because that's what happens. COVID is real, okay? Not a game. And she said, you know what? No, no, no. Use that for someone who is younger. I've lived a good life. Powerful story. Story that is going to ring for a very long time whenever we think about this moment. But what I want for us is that we would be dominated by an even greater story, which is God's. It's the story that shaped the brook. It's the story that shapes lives. It's the story that changes people. And then people go out and change the world. I'm ambitious about the future. I'm ambitious about what could be in our city. But it's not stuff. Yes, where we are, as you're seeing the stage get rebuilt, is going to be great. We want to be a home for a people, from all people. Yes, we want to be a cornerstone of flourishing in this community. We want to be a catalyst for multiplication in our city, in our nation, and in our world. Yes, this will be that place, this building. But what will exist beyond this are stories of people being transformed by the richness of who God is. Psalm 78, if you have a Bible, uh, please turn there. It's where we're going to be. It teaches us that some stories aren't just worth remembering. They're worth being transformed by. And the psalmist is, is going to be motivated by leading the future. Not just living in the now, but leading the future. He's going to be motivated by that. And through that motivation, he's going to act and he is going to commission the people in the now to tell a story that leads the future. And then to live in light of it. And so, really, that's, that's, I just, that's what I want to preach, quite honestly. I just want to preach in a way where, where we're stirred to accept responsibility for the future and the now and to lead courageously to that end. Psalm 78, the movement of our time will be, we will see the psalmist's motivation and then we'll pull out some lessons from the future and then close with a statement that I hope to shape us. Let me read verses one through eight and then we'll get after it. Um, Psalm 78, starting in verse 1, it reads like this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to my words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, the future, 
and arise and tell them to their children, generations. <laughs> it's an inside joke. So that they should set their hope in God. So that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not satisfied, was, was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. A lot here, but the first eight verses really give us the motivation of this psalmist, Asaph, one, one of those who was in King David's court, singing songs, ministering to the people. He penned this song and this prayer to motivate a people towards action. And, and, and here's what he's saying. He said, I want you to tell the whole truth. Tell the story. Tell the story of our heritage. All the good and the bad. What's beautiful and what's broken. You tell the story well. To a people that aren't even here yet. And to the people that will be beyond them as well. You tell that story. And the motivation for that is, 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 is really, it's multifaceted, but it could be captured with this phrase. He wants people to know God well. That they would have a head start in knowing God well. Tell the story. But the dynamics of knowing God well are really twofold. One, he says that they would set their hopes on him. They would set their hopes on him. So, can I just say, teachers, man, y'all need like a $50,000 raise now. And I've been known that, but I just want to say that, like, <laughs> to memorialize the reality that being a teacher is hard. And if you're an IT person, $100,000. Let's just, let's just pay people what they're worth. Nevertheless, uh, virtual school is, is a beast. <laughs> and so in virtual school, there's this weird tension where you're like, yeah, like, I I. I don't want you to have more screens because you're in a screen all day, but man, at the same time, you've been cooped up. You're trying to learn stuff. We're trying to make sure that you don't eat all the snacks and all of our food, you know what I'm saying, for this little situation because we don't want to go back outside. But <laughs> there always comes this moment when when we break from virtual school, the default is Disney Plus, right? And part of that was because Disney Plus released Frozen 2 early. Uh, and this is my plea. If you're watching anybody from Disney, feel free to release Black Widow early and Mulan as well. We receive that in Jesus' name. But um, we were watching Frozen 2. And <laughs> it was a good movie. Our girls loved it. I liked it a little bit. But I was just thinking as I was watching it, like, Olaf, if you haven't seen the movie, sorry. Olaf really doesn't have a point, for me at least, other than comic relief, but that didn't really do it for me in terms of moving the story forward. And Olaf's interaction was almost very aloof. He was just like walking around smiling like all the time. And I thought to myself, self, he had this weird, like smiley, bubbly personality where it's like, man, everything's fine, everything's good. And I was like, you know what? Whenever we think about hope, that's usually how we associate it with like almost this 
weird, bubbly, bouncy, smiley type space, that that's hope. When in reality, biblical hope is not having a smile on your face, it's having strength in your heart, your soul. Biblical hope is a ferocious resilience in the midst of difficulty. Biblical hope is an anchor that is dropped down, that allows the soul to be unmoved and unwavering regardless of what's going on outside of it. Biblical hope is necessary. And what he's saying is, I don't want this fluffy, aloof, bouncy, smiley thing to exist in people's hearts. I want this ferocious resilience present in the heart of people because they know who God is. Tell the story so that they set their hopes, their, their, their confidence in God. But it's not just tell the story so that they would know God setting their hope in him. It's so that they would not forget his works. That's what he says, verse 7. That they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. He says, I, I want, I want the, the future to be so informed and transformed by the story of God that it would keep them from amnesia. It would keep them from the absurdity of spiritual amnesia. Man, the, the story that he's going to tell, it's, it's not told chronologically, it's told thematically, but what you see in there is this regular abandonment of God. But, but notice what he says here. He says, I don't want them to be like their fathers, a stubborn or rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful towards God. What he's getting at, he's like, I, I want you to tell the story so that they would know God well, have their hopes set on him, this ferocious re resilience, but also not forget him, not engage in spiritual amnesia and abandonment. But he's saying that spiritual amnesia and abandonment is more of a reflex. That it's a reflex of the condition of a heart. In other words, we, we wander away from God before we walk. We just wander. Man, in the last year of the life of our church, stories of people coming to know God well and just, just fall in love with him. But we've also had stories of the opposite, where people have wandered away and it's been, does God really exist? And is he really with me? Can he love me? And those are real questions and real wrestles, and we're getting that to that with the lesson. But what I, what I have rarely heard, and I've been a pastor for, for some time, I've rarely heard somebody wake up one day and just say, out of nowhere, man, I'm done with God. What I hear often is breadcrumbs of wandering away. And so even this statement of not forget is to be seen proactively as remember well, not cognitively, but affectionately. He's motivated that they would know God well. He's leading the future by modeling passion and desire for people to actually know God. I like it. 
And then he gets into the story. Verses 9 through 72 is the story of God interacting with his people, interacting with humanity, and it's glorious. And there's lessons that we can learn there. Lesson one, it's actually found, read with me, it's found in verse um, excuse me, 19 through 20. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread the table in the wilderness? True. He struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can, can he supply meat for his people? Lesson one is this. You want to lead the future well? Then we have to understand to lead the future well is to live faithfully in the present. It's to take this picture of what's coming and say, how can I model and pursue it now? And so what he's telling this generation, he's actually gonna live too. So I want us to hear this and not just say, well, I'm, I'm gonna tell that to somebody way over there. I want us to hear this and say, I'm gonna embody these lessons now. I'm gonna lean into them now. Lesson one, address the questions and the concerns of the heart. These are questions, can God really? Can he supply? Now, verse 18 is going to say that they tested him in his heart. So he's going to show that these questions weren't necessarily to really get information. They were more accusations. And we know the difference, right? You know when you ask a question because you want information. And you know when you ask a question and there's really not a question mark at the end. It's a statement because you're accusing. We know the difference. But what's powerful and beautiful is that God invites both. Asking questions and accusations because he's not intimidated by either. And what makes him so irresistible is that as, as we bring those to him, he interacts with us in a way that's still true to himself, independent of us, not moved by us in that way. He responds as he pleases, which is usually to pursue, to draw us in. Don't be afraid of the questions or concerns. Address them. Address them. Because if you don't, they'll linger and then they'll end up leading you. Lesson two, verse 78, well, 38 through 39, excuse me, says this. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Lesson two, the patience of God should melt our hearts. Do you see me? He said, in this, in this story, read this passage, read this passage. In this story, what's told is their resistance, the yet day. God acted yet day, and this con consistent resistance to the wooing and pursuit of God, to his grace and love and kindness. And, and, and God's response is that it, he restrained his anger often. He was patient. But here, here's why this should melt our hearts, because when we think about patience, it's easy to think about the act of waiting. Everybody everywhere has heard this phrase, wait till I get there. <laughs> yeah. And if you've heard that phrase from your parents, 
you know that that produces something in you. Man, I did not grow up knowing Jesus. I did stuff I wasn't supposed to, and my dad, he would, ah, uh-uh. <laughs> When I get there, oh, ah, you, you better drink poison before I get home. He would say, like, random stuff to me. Me and my dad have a great relationship now. Um, if you're watching this, dad, I love you. Um, but nevertheless, like, <laughs> it would produce anxiety in me. And so my dad, he would actually wait it out. And then when he got there, I got, I got that work. And so none of us would celebrate that type of patience where it's like, oh, the ability to will yourself towards an action. That's, anybody could do that to some degree. The patience of God isn't just the waiting things out, it's the emotional response he has towards people. It's that relational patience. It's the patience that shows up that when he remembers our wrong, it doesn't move him away. Relational patience is vastly different. That when you have recall, emotional recall to stuff that's happened, you don't treat people differently. I love this because God's patience with us is a reflection of his kindness. And it's also an act of his pursuit. Can I apply this real quick? What that means is God doesn't walk away even when we do. God doesn't walk away even when we wander. And if God doesn't walk away when we do, and God doesn't walk away when we wander, then we do not have the right to write people off when God is still writing their story, period. The patience of God should melt our hearts. Lesson three, it's littered all throughout here, but verse 24 starts it off. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and he gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of angels, and he set them food in abundance. Verse 38, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. Lesson three is look and long for the but God moments. Look and long for the but God moments. Looking and longing, it gets at both anticipation, affection, and attentiveness. Yo, man. There are five relationships that are core to any African-American man. Spouse, if you're married. God, first, of spouse. Kids. Your circle, like the movie The Wood, best man, all that, circle. And then your barber, top five, period. There's a special bond, the bond between your barber and you, it is, man, we are like only in like week 2.5. And I'm just like, yo, Kev, I need you, man. Kev, if you're watching, I need you, bruh. Like, yeah. And, and I, I'm, over, I'm checking his, his Instagram, I'm shooting him, to, I'm like, yo, Kev. 
Are you going to come out from hiding? Is it going to be stay at home? Is it done yet? And what's bubbling inside me is this anticipation, this affection for the moments where we would have conversation and he would, you know, cut me up and give me the line and, you know, and I don't want to cheat on him, so I'm not going to do it myself, so I may start wearing hats anyway. And like, and this attentiveness to, you know, is it time? It's looking and longing. We all do it in different ways. And the way he tells this story is that that anticipation, that affection, and that attentiveness should be directed towards God's intervention, but God. The intervention of God is powerful because it often signifies rescue and mercy. They rebelled against him. Can God spread a table in the desert? 14,600 days of eating bread from heaven. Because God intervened and said, yeah, I can. They went away. Angered him, but not just angered him, it grieved him. 38. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their sin atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy him. He said, I'm hurt, but I'm not going to move away. I'm going to move close. And the way I can move close is I'm going to provide for you what you can't provide for yourself, which is atonement, which is to deal with the brokenness in this relationship, which springs forth from the brokenness in your heart. I'm going to deal with it. The rescue of God, the intervention, mercy. But we don't just long for these moments of rescue and mercy. Those aren't the only but God moments you get in this passage or in the Bible. 59, when God heard he was full of wrath and utterly rejected. He forsook his dwelling as Shiloh, his tent where he dwelt among mankind and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. That's Psalm 78, 59 through 61. He responded to dealing with their actions in a just way. We also see this in 1 Chronicles 28, 3. But God said to me, this is David speaking, but God intervened. You can't build my house for my name. For you are man of war and shed blood. That the intervention isn't always rescue and mercy. Sometimes the innovation is making a point and proving that he's different categorically. And we should long for both. For, for God to show up with tremendous mercy and rescue. But for God to show up and show us how different he is as well. Next lesson. 65. All of these. He's saying, yo, you need to tell, tell this to the people yet unborn that they may know. Don't just tell it to them, though. You live in light of it. Lesson four. It's hitting me differently now. Difficulty has an expiration date, verse 65. Then the Lord awoke from his sleep. 
like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. So right on the heels of, of God lowering the broom, be, bringing judgment, and his people are now having to deal with the consequences of their wandering, of their rejection, of their rebellion. And those consequences, hard labor, difficulty, because there is people, there's an expiration day. He arises, he gets up. Hebrews 1, 3 says this about Jesus. He is a radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the, by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We're going to talk about that heavily again next week, Easter. This is the Christian hope. God dealt with the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in my soul and the consequences thereof, which are separation forever. He dealt with it. And he sat down because he did. But the hope isn't that God just dealt with it. The hope is God is going to bring that act to completion in its full. Revelation 19 says that there's this rider on a white horse, tattoos on his thigh that say, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, which means that the one who sat down is going to get up. And all the difficulty that we experience in a moment will expire. But here's the beauty of that. The expiration date should motivate us to some degree. So like, man, in college, here's what I would do, man. Like, I would look at labels and it would say, best used by this day. And I would assume that was a guideline, not a law. It's like, yo, best used by July 25th. That means that July 24th, you know, if you haven't used it, you still got a day. That means that July 26th, you know, you're still good. There's like a plus or minus five-day window. That's what I thought until about a year ago. I'm ashamed to say that I actually lived like that until about a year ago. About a year ago, like I was getting these pomegranates from a restaurant here. I don't want to put them on blast, but they're famous in Florida. And I saw, you know, best used by this expiration day. I was like, I'm only like a day later. Food poisoning, worst thing ever, all right? It was trash, it hurt. But it taught me something. What I did was what most of us do. We, we, we almost use this expiration date like a guideline and so that we scramble around the time. So if it's closer to the day, we, you know, we either use it, if it's after the day and you like me from different parts of the house, then you, you use it and nevertheless. So you, you almost have this like scramble mentality around the expiration date. When the scriptures talk about difficulty, having an expiration date that is going to come to end, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings is going to get up and make all things new. It's not to have us scrambling, wondering when. It's to have us secured as we wait and live in light of it. Difficulty has an expiration date. 
Lesson five. God's faithfulness is stronger than my faithfulness. And it's also stronger than my faithlessness. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink. Verse 26, he caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. Verse 33, so he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. 53, he led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. At each critical moment, you had this intersection of humanity and divinity, and God always went out. He always won. Faithful. That when they, when they were unfaithful, rebellious, he continued to preserve his plans. And even when they thought they were helping him out, wasn't strong enough. The entire song story of humanity is a statement that booms. God is faithful even when we're not. And you see that as a grid for life. The conclusion we arrive at is, but God is better than we could ever imagine. And knowing him, knowing him should change everything. Knowing Jesus is better than we could ever imagine. Does it make choosing him easier? It just makes it worthwhile. Last lesson. It's actually the end. Verse 70 through 72, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded him and guided them with a skillful Lesson six, God is looking for people to use in their moment. Acts 13 says this of David, that he served the Lord in his generation and then he fell asleep, he died. He did what God wanted him to do in the moment and then he rested. First Chronicles, well, second Chronicles 16, nine says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. God is looking for people to use in their moment. Oh, that we would desire to be used. That we would desire earnestly to lead the future. I think about those who aren't yet here and how we could serve them, that we would desire that, but that we would desire to be used in the now, to serve people in the now. 
as we walk towards what's coming. Please, please, I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you. If, if this is your home, this is your people, the brook, there's work in front of us that's glorious. There's a story unfolding that's beautiful because it's not built on us. It's built on God. And we have the privilege and the responsibility to receive it, to rest in it, to be shaped by it. It's beauty. But we also have the privilege and a responsibility to share it, to tell it. Don't let the story stop at you. Let's pray. Father, um, I just think about years from now when we reflect on this moment, all of the emotions and um, perspectives that we're going to have. God, I pray that we would be so convinced that you're not just going to meet us in some distant future, but you're going to walk with us in our very real present, that we would be freed to live well and lead courageously. Please, thank you for writing something beyond us that's beautiful. Would we trust you as you keep writing the story for so many lives in this city? Or will we tell your story well so that their story get intersected and be changed forevermore? In your name we pray, Jesus.